0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. Such a pleasure today to be here with somebody I admire very much and have known for 20 years since I was a first reporter back in my old news press days. I'm so happy to have a conversation with him about everything. City of Santa Barbara, television production, recently retired, uh, one of the most popular people at City Hall in the city administration. Tony Ruggieri, how are you doing today? Hi, Josh. I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm. It's uh, great
1: being retired my first two and a half weeks.
0: <laughs> well, it's, that's great. I heard that you were going to be uh, retiring and I said, I got to have you on the show because you're such a wealth of knowledge and such an overall good person, particularly to the journalists and the media. And so that's why I want to have you on the show. You know, Tony, I started at the News Press back in 1999 And you were among the first people who I got to know while trying to cover the City Hall beat. And I remember you carefully explaining things to me, how city TV works, going downstairs into the basement, being patient. And, of course, I'm a reporter who's wanting to know as much as I can at the time. And you were really helpful in educating me. And that is who you are as a television production supervisor for the city of Santa Barbara. So important in educating the public about what the city does. And you did that in terms of this incredible portfolio of content that the city of Santa Barbara has for anyone interested in. From back in the day to just council meetings and planning commission meetings to to now – pretty much everything the city of Santa Barbara does every meeting and then a lot of the promotional videos that tell people about city of Santa Barbara I maybe mean, it's creeks division or parks and rec or water department just educating everybody and so you really are this wealth of knowledge and so i really just want to have a conversation with you about the technical aspect of what city tv has done but also just You've seen it all. You've been in that basement watching all of these meetings in the past and through COVID. So, so Tony, let me just start off with, talk to me about when you started at the city of Santa Barbara. What was television, television production like? And what kind of stuff were you broadcasting? And then maybe just kind of walk us through your growth and evolution to where we are today.
1: Okay. Okay. Um. Well, I started in 1986 actually. I, I came to Santa Barbara to go to Brooks Institute, the now defunct photography school that was around <laughs> for about 70 years actually. Um, came to go to to school. Uh, I was working uh, at a liquor store on State Street on the 700 block of State Street while I was going to school. And uh, this guy came in pretty much every day for a soda and a bag of chips. And, you know, we would chat when he would come in and he told me he was uh, he was a Brooks Institute alumni and he worked for the city. And, I, you know, I asked him, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm in charge of the the city's television channel. You know, we televise city council meetings and and that sort of thing. I'm like, well, well, that sounds cool. Um, do you ever need any interns or, or part time help? And, you know, so we started that conversation. And uh, a while later, he's like, yeah, I could use somebody. So. That's how I got in, involved, uh, started working there at, at that time with his name was Reginald Carter. Mm. Uh, he pretty much started the channel in the early 80s. So, um, you know, I, I came in in mid-1986 uh, as a part-time employee. And uh, at that time, we we pretty much just did city council meetings, planning commission, and then the environmental review committee. I don't know if you re- remember the environmental review committee. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they were uh absorbed into the planning commission at some point their their function uh reviewing environmental documents basically is what they did uh was absorbed by the planning commission to, in a streamlining effort uh that the city had back you know whenever that was in the early 90s probably um so I came over and you know got he he gave me a tour of the control room and at the time the control room was actually in a closet so <laughs> <laughs> it was upstairs right next to the council chambers in what is now a storage closet um and that's where the original control room was it was so small that the operator sitting in the chair operating the equipment was actually outside the door of the closet <laughs> in in Shelly Cohn's office, who, who's in there now. I don't know if you've been up there and seen Shelly's office, uh, the public information officer for the city. So the television operation was in that closet. And then they had another just sort of administrative desk area down, down in the basement where, where the office is now. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I started and and uh, where you know where my career with the city began. Um, and then at some point after Reginald left, I, I uh, became the the channel supervisor. We moved the, everything from the closet down to the basement and consolidated all of our operations and and pretty much started there.
0: So what was it like for you? So you're down in the basement and you know, people who go to the meetings, they, they they're in the room, they see what they see. People watching on television or the Internet are are seeing uh, basically what you allow them to see a- in terms of who's talking, who the focus is on, the graphics. Talk to me a little bit about that job and that role. Is, is it stre- Was it stressful for you? Um, did you worry about being able to not miss a moment? Uh, what was that like being in the driver's seat?
1: Um, you know, I think the most stressful part was just um, making sure that the technology worked every Tuesday. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it's a, there's a lot of technology involved with televising meetings and, um you know, not everything goes according to plan. You know, there's there's outages anywhere. A piece of equipment can fail during a meeting or before a meeting. So that's that was the most stressful part. You know, it's it's it is live, you know, it's it's live TV. Um And then just also to be ready that that live component to be ready. If we always took our cue from the mayor. So if the mayor has to recess the meeting for any particular reason, you know, or shut somebody's mic off, our policy was to, you know, cut away to a graphic if we had to, um, and, and not really show that disruption. So we tried to keep the help keep the decorum of the meeting as far as the televised portion of it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, fortunately, uh, we, the city did a, a good job of keeping all the equipment. You know, as up to date as we could and, and in good, pretty good working order. So that stuff didn't really happen that often, but, um, but it certainly was always a, a concern that something was going to, going to happen. And, you know, we also had, you know, occasionally Cox would, would have an issue and, you know, oh. they'd have something happening technically on their end. So we'd have to figure out, is that us or is that them? So we were always in, you know, pretty good communication. We had a direct number to their engineering head end out at, at Fairview and have you know, good communication with the Cox staff as well,
0: if we had to dig deep into something and figure out where the problem was. I've been in more than a few meetings where council members are talking and all of a sudden the phone would ring and uh, it would probably be you or somebody telling them, turn on your mic kind of thing, <laughs> and then they would flip it on, you know, so. <laughs> that was mostly in the Gebhard room. Yeah, yeah the, count, the council chambers is easier
1: uh, the audio quality in the room is, is better and it's easier for them to tell when their mic is on. The right. Gebhard room is a different story. It's, it's not as big of a room. You can't, it's, you can't turn the audio up in the room high enough for people to sort of hear that they're on to easily hear that, you know, their mic is on. So that's where the, we always, that was our, our trick in the Gebhard room. Somebody's mic wasn't on. We call over, hang up after one ring and that was their, <laughs> their Pavlovian uh cue to to turn their <laughs> mic on.
0: <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. Uh so let's talk about that, your growth and evolution from three meetings to today. I mean, I I've I emailed you like totally yeah like I can't find this uh, you know ordinance committee meeting and you're like it's there here it is here's the link you guys do everything now so how did you go from that to, to where you're at now from a, just a, a creative perspective, from a technical perspective, was that, how long did that take? And just walk us through how you were able to, to become, I mean, if you're a city geek like me, like it's entertaining. You can just watch these meetings all the time and it's so cool. How did you get there?
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, people, you know, we, city TV, uh, the city televised, a, it was about 450 meetings a year. Um, and, but, uh, you know, in, in my, I have colleagues in other cities that actually do more than that. The city of San Francisco does somewhere around 2000 wow. every year, total, total number of meetings. And I don't know, they have 40 or 50 different boards and commissions that they televise. You know, there were some others, Glendale had a whole bunch. Um, so we're, you know, we're up there, we do. Quite a bit, but it, I think it's really driven by the, the council and the city administrators desire for transparency. Um, you know, to, to show the community the decision making process, you know, as easily as we could on TV, it's either live or on demand. Now you can go back and watch it anytime. And, um, you know, we just chose all the boards and commissions that seemed to have a lot of um, public interest. You know, it was incremental too we started off with three and then around, uh, in the late nineties, we, you know, we jumped up to maybe 10 and then COVID, we added some more during COVID. And so it's kind of been incremental over time. Uh, and we only have, we have two meeting rooms that are wired for it. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the hard part is to get them scheduled. Um, you know, the scheduling doesn't always work. There's might be an interest in televising this one group, but, The schedule in the rooms doesn't work with our schedule. You know, we we have two rooms wired, and so we can do two meetings at the same time. Um, And but some of the like people were interested in some offsite, some of the offsite meetings Mm. that don't happen in those rooms. So that's a bigger challenge. It takes you've got to go out there with cameras and an audio system and, um, you know, try to capture capture those meetings. Um, You know, the good thing about it now is the, with the internet and YouTube, you can actually stream them. Like we were streaming, we can stream meetings from the Faulkner gallery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you can just plug in and stream directly to YouTube. So you don't have to necessarily go through channel 18 for, for those meetings we right. can. And then we, re, re, we'd record them and bring them back to channel 18 and play them back at, you know, various times and upload them online. So uh, yeah, it's definitely grown uh over the years but i think it's driven by you know we have a transparent transparent city that that really tries to get those decisions out there in the public
0: when you look back was there a council member or a city administrator or somebody at city hall who who Mm -hmm. sort of said hey we have this incredible asset let's let's try to do more and be more transparent uh can you yeah. talk a little bit about those kind of influences?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that actually the uh, the big growth period I I'd say was under Sandra Tripp Jones when she was city administrator. Um, Greg Hart was on the council. He was just just voted in and and he brought up at a couple council meetings, you know, we have this cable TV channel, but we're only showing a couple, you know, a couple meetings. We're not really doing much about any other programming it's mostly the bulletin board you know which is the continuous 24 7 bulletin board that has job announcements and and different things not not highly interesting to watch for anybody um so you know they they said well what what could be done what can we do can we start doing a regular program what other meetings can we televise can we there was an interest you know the idea came up can we wire the david gebhardt room because at that time the Gebhard room did not have any AV uh, equipment in there, uh, uh, so that was really, you know, that was the impetus of it. Um, council budget times were good. That's the other, the other thing is, is, is there money to do some of this stuff? And at that time, um, you know, budgets were looking good, so we were able to fund a few things. Uh, we funded, we built the Gebhardt room. We put cameras in there and an audio system and, in, you know, projector and some AV equipment. Uh, we started doing the HLC, the ABR, and, uh, let's see, single family design board. I don't think was there yet. Um, transportation and circulation committee, maybe, you know, so there were a few over in there in the Gebhardt room that we started televising. Uh, and then we started doing a program called Inside Santa Barbara. And that was we that was a monthly show when we first started doing it that highlighted different city services, uh, city issues. Um, we, you know, programs the different city programs we tried to promote them. Uh, and we got the idea from that actually from a show that K E Y T used to do a news magazine show called One Hundred and One. Hmm and it was you know highway 101 but it was called 101 and it was their news magazine show they used to do a weekly news magazine show you know aside from the regular news news anchor at the desk programming that they do that they you know are known for um so we uh, King Harris had had recently retired i think and so we talked to King about helping us you know sort of brainstorm it and what could we do and he he came on and Sort of helped us, uh, you know, talked about his experience at KYT with his with the 101 show mm-hmm. and uh, helped us develop the first the first program. And he hosted it. Oh. So I don't know if you ever ran across King or not. He just uh, there was a really nice article in the Independent re- recently about about King Harris.
0: I was just um, a kid watching KYT when King Harris was on. But I, I think Paul Verkhamen wrote that. Wrote that Yeah, piece. yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, exactly. Um so King helped us get it going, and then after that, um, Larry Good hosted it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Who was um, also from KUIT, and and we you know did it up until a uh, couple of years ago. Right. <clears throat> so yeah, it was really Greg and Sandra that sort of um, got the rest of the council behind um, trying to expand what City TV did and and the services that we provided to the community.
0: And and for you, Tony, a lot of people might define somebody in your role as a tech person, uh, somebody who's making sure everything's plugged in and everything's working. But knowing you, you really love this stuff. I mean, you're, you're, you know, the background, the history, you've had relationships with all your professional colleagues here. Uh, Doing this job, what has it meant to you in terms of just good government and transparency to be able to deliver all of this content to anybody? who has the internet or, or Cox communications to watch these shows.
1: Yeah, it's it's all about public service for me. Um you know, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of in my 36 years uh, with the city is is being able to serve this community. I you know, I when I got done with Brooks I was thinking I was going to go to Los Angeles and try to get into the film industry and just being here for the 3 years I went to school I I realized how much I loved it here and, you know, just um, the people were great. And so that that kept me here. And I think that drove, you know, once I got started working for the city, you know, I realized how how many city employees really cared about the community. And I just hadn't really thought about the public sector as a career um, prior to that. And, um, you know, so that's that's why. Uh, I stayed so long and and was able to you know make Santa Barbara my home um My wife grew up here, so that you know that that was helpful too She's a carpenteria kid uh-huh. uh so grew up in carp and you know our kids are were both raised here, so we were able to we were fortunate enough to you know get housing that's always been been an issue um but uh, that, that stays. But yeah, it's, it's the public service and the transparency. And, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of, too, is that both my children, I think, are headed in that direction. And my, well, my son's in, the, I was telling you, my son's in the U.S. Navy right now, yeah. and hopes to, after his, his thought process is after the Navy, he wants to maybe get involved in some federal agency, working at a federal agency or or in a congressional office as like a congressional aide or or something. So he's interested in public service. And my daughter, I think, is either going to teach or go to law school. So I think she's headed down that that path as well. So I'm I'm really proud of both of them for kind of, you know, I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but (laughs) maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit.
0: Probably a lot of it for sure. Uh, so Tony, if you get to my age, uh, I, I want to start re- revisiting memory lane right here, talking about stuff the good old days. Um, I still cover city. Uh-huh i um, still there and reporting on what they're doing. Uh, but I want to kind of go back a little bit and drop a few names from back when I was first covering it. And when you and I were first interacting more, when I was one of these reporters actually went to city hall every day and tried to, you know, stir up trouble. You know, now you've actually made my job easier, Tony, because I don't have to go. I can just watch. I can watch okay. the APR. I can watch the HLC. I can watch ordinance, finance, city council. Um, So hopefully my supervisors don't don't hear that. You know, I can just watch from afar. Uh, But that's how good you are. You know, even the journalists, you know, rely on you for that. But let me go through a few names back in the heyday of individuals. And uh, you're retired now, Tony. So you can you can talk, right? You can say whatever you (laughs) want. But you mentioned Greg Hart. Uh, You know, Hart is sort of an icon uh, of, you know, every board he sits on. He's so. He's so smart and he can figure things out and explain them and unravel them just like that. And he's kind of in his own little tier here locally. Uh, What do you recall about Greg Hart and sort of watching him talk in those meetings and, you know, how he would interact with, uh, with the public from your, from your seat?
1: You know, Greg is, um, was, well, he was always a really big advocate of, of our, of city TV. Um, uh, of our program and of public information. I think in general, when he was on the council, he was always advocating, you know, how do we get the word out? Let's get the word out. Um, anytime I see Greg now, I mean, he's one of the nicest, friendliest people, you know, he's always got a big smile on his face. And I think he greeted the public that way too, even in controversial, you know, from the de- the dais, even in controversial, um, you know, decisions, he tried to do it positively and friendly and um you know he did a good job at that. I think he made people feel like they were being heard and being, you know, they were comfortable uh in the chambers. Yeah. Um
0: yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah, Greg, Greg was great. He's still like that to this day. Burn exactly shake, looks you in the eye. Shows interest in you. I mean, he is a politician, but he also um, is a local kid. And he also, I think, shares those like authenticity, sincere values. The only time Greg Hart was ever mad at me was when (laughs) um, I wrote a story. It was was back when E.F. Falcone was on the council. And, you know, Greg had been kind of a powerhouse during his first run. And Uh uh, Ia was ascending and really asserting herself and becoming a a political star in her own right. And she uh, she kind of outmaneuvered him on some issue. I forget what it was, but she kind of disagreed with him and took the issue and steered the whole vote the other way. And I wrote about this in the in in the news press and, and described how his you know in that moment you know his face turned flush and he got angry and gritted his teeth and. And, uh, you know, the power kind of shifted in that moment. And uh, that was the only time Greg was mad at me, at least outwardly, you know, he didn't talk to me for a few weeks, but uh, then he got over it and, you know, and he came back and had a great run as the council member again. But just a, I don't use this term loosely, but just a brilliant mind uh, from somebody who's watched all these meetings. Um, I want to ask you about Brian Barnwell, too, because we had a period back then when, We had people going from the planning commission to the city council. And to me, that's a huge benefit when you've served on a board, when you have that knowledge and that history. And you also, you really have earned that right to be on the council because you put in your volunteer time before that for free. And now you've been elected. And Barnwell was one of those individuals who every week, I mean, this guy was also Maybe not as crystallized as Greg Hart, but very smart in his explanations of issues. What do you recall about, about Brian Barnwell and his time on the council? Um, you know,
1: Brian, Brian's been a friend of our family, Brian and Cammy, um, and their kids for for a long time. We we went to Peabody, our kids went to school with uh Cammy and Brian's kids, um, Sophia and Alex. And so we've known them for for you know quite a while um, on a personal level, um, and Brian's always been, I mean, he's very generous. He's always been so helpful with anything that we've ever needed. Uh, you know, hey Brian, can you pick up the kids today? You know, help us get the kids from school because Sophia and my daughter Quincy were both in the same class many times, and you know, grew up together. They did flamenco together, so we did the whole flamenco thing. Uh, for a few years, you know, Sophia continued on and did really well all the way until, you know, she was uh, a senior or so in high school. And, and my, you know, Quincy stopped after a few years, but those early days. But as far as Brian as a council member, uh, always Brian, Brian seemed to understand every issue. You know, there's a huge diversity of issues that the council deals with and. You know, some council members are good at planning issues. Some council members understand the public work stuff better, the public safety. Um, but Brian seemed to have good, always seemed to do his homework, um, always had a good grasp of all the issues. And then he's like, <laughs> Brian is a very outgoing, gregarious person and and always had some, you know, he was a quote machine Yeah. at, at that time when. Uh, I was telling you before when Brian and Bendy White were on the council, they would just have you know some some great quotes on you know just different sayings that they would they would come up with during the meeting. Uh, in fact, I had an intern at one time that was that was working meetings, helping run the meetings, and and she was so fascinated by the discussion that the council was having, she started a little quote book, and I wish we still had it, but uh, you know we had that going for a little while with with people's just interesting or funny comments and and brian was always you know good with with those types of things
0: yes yeah brian was really well read uh so yeah. he would be able to insert historical references literature references <laughs> into you know a debate about uh sewers or you know sidewalks or something like that and uh you know he'd always exactly it'd be
1: it'd be a, a discussion about uh the wastewater treatment plant and he'd bring in socrates or or something into it
0: (laughs) shakespeare yes shakespeare right (laughs) i shouldn't admit this but i remember you know being you know 25 and you know him him saying yeoman's work and you know like what is yeoman you know and having to look that up you know but that was that was sort (laughs) of being a reporter with with barnwell was you had to make notes to go look things up later and figure out what did he just say <laughs> what did he just mean you know for sure and uh you know he 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 definitely was one of those people and i will say uh you know the voters elect people to office and they have their right to do that and and but i will say it's kind of shameful to the city councils since that they have not appointed him to a uh, commission because barnwell is absolutely deserves to be on a commission <laughs> hlc planning he was a planning commissioner you know abr anything that he applies to because you it's a waste to not have that knowledge within the city administration to be helping guide these issues you know and and i've seen him apply and he hasn't been appointed and that's just uh you know that's a shameful because you know he's he's really one of the brilliant minds and speaking of that let's talk a little bit about Bendy White, you mentioned him a little bit. Um, was he was he also Mister Quotable too, or you know what what was his deal with? What do you recall about Bendy?
1: Yeah, Bendy was definitely would would have a quotes um, that were <laughs> that were good. Always always had a funny you know a funny saying about an issue. Uh, Bendy was on the planning stuff though. I mean, he yeah. you know he knew he was on the planning commission obviously for for a while too. Um, and just you know, Bendy was just really fun to talk to, and you know, always enjoyed my interactions with 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 Bendy. Um, but yeah, he was, um, yeah, he was, he was part of that. Him and Brian together um, made for some pretty interesting conversations at council.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, some of these people I'm asking you about are that Helene Schneider administration, kind of an overlap from Marty Bloom to Helene. Uh, can i ask you a little bit about helene schneider uh one of the things that i bugs me and i've talked to helene about this was her being so smart i'm probably the smartest elected official just without even trying that i've seen um just she could just unravel all these things um and, and just explain them with ease without even looking like she's trying and she served her time and she's not serving anymore But she was a great mayor, and I think she's often overlooked uh, in sort of this. We have this little sense of history now of the City of Santa Barbara, this turnover. But she was a really good mayor. And uh, what do you recall about Helene's time uh, when you were when you were when you were there? Yeah, she was a good mayor.
1: Um, I recall Helene being; she was really diplomatic. Mm-hmm. I, I think she she had, you know, when she was mayor, the council uh, that was elected at that time was probably the most diverse political, politically, um, you know, diverse council that we, that we've had here in Santa Barbara, you know, we had, we had a more conservative element, uh, on it as well. And, and I think Colleen did, did a really good job of navigating that and giving everybody their, you know, hearing everyone out, giving everyone the opportunity to, to say their piece and, and contribute in the issues. And council seemed to you know get along fairly well uh, at that time as well she was she was a good she was diplomatic she was a peacemaker um, and she was fun too Helene had a, a little bit of a theater bug in her <laughs> and uh, she she helped us out. We did a PSA um, on water conservation uh, during I think it was probably during one of the droughts and so she came up with this whole she came up with a song set to a, uh, a, D- a Disney, I'd, I'll have to ask her, I forget what the song was, uh, for one of the Frozen songs, I think.
0: Okay. And she let changed the
1: lyrics. Which one? It let it go, or
0: was it a different yeah, one? Yeah, it was Let It Go. Yeah.
1: Right, so it was, I, I think she changed it to Let It Grow, and it, <laughs> was, a, it was about water conservation, and, and we actually recorded her singing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a couple other people doing doing the parts in the song and and did a PSA for it and so, you know she was um yeah she had I think under her tenure as well she started uh the uh the Nobel the poet laureate position oh, yeah. mm-hmm. again happened under that so she definitely had a you know an artistic side and so yeah that was fun that was fun to bring the mayor down into the studio and have her perform <laughs> let it go.
0: Yeah, it, she's quite the singer. And that's, that's, that's
1: out there on YouTube someplace, I'm sure.
0: Oh, well, so I'm going to spend my rest of my day. I'm going to find that one. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fun one. Uh, but let, let's talk about moments on the council. Uh, you've seen it all. Uh, you've seen public comment. You've seen the council members come and go. Uh, do you have any things that stand out in your mind? Of like, oh, I remember that meeting. I remember that happened. Uh, whether technical stuff or just people talking or... Big votes. Uh, what stands out? Oh,
1: let's see. Uh, remember some of the the big items, um, and being there until you know after eleven o'clock, maybe 12, 12 o'clock might have been the longest council meeting that I that I recall. Yeah. You know, off leash dogs at the Doug, the Douglas Family Preserve was a huge one. Um, vacation <laughs> rentals was big. Vacation rentals. I think we had overflow. In every nook and cranny of city hall there were there were so many people there and so many people that wanted to speak. Um, I remember some of the some of the public commenters uh, over the years uh, that would show up on a regular basis when I the, when I first started, there was a, a gentleman uh, named uh, Richard Stromy mm-hmm. who uh, was into the train depot for some reason this is prior to when the redevelopment agency um rehabbed the train station um and he was just he would show up every week and and talk about the train depot and rumor had it that he was uh worked on the line he was a worked in trains his career for union pacific or something and was really into the station so he you know, he was after the city. There was at the time there were proposals to build it out, put commercial with the train station and various things like that. And he, he really wanted the city to preserve that train station. So he showed up every week. Uh, then there was Bruce Rittenhouse. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you remember Bruce. He, I remember he was, Bruce. he was the regular public commenter during the Harriet Miller, you know, years. Yes. And, uh, Bruce always had something colorful to say and he actually, when Harriet retired, Bruce participated in her retirement uh, video. Somebody we didn't do it. Somebody um, from the outside did a little short video for them for Harriet's retirement party, and it can part of it was Bruce at the podium, and he was he was saying something, and Harriet was up on the dais, and they they showed her like pressing a button, and then all of a sudden Bruce disappeared from behind the podium <laughs> like he went through <laughs> went through a trap door. <laughs> it was very funny. And uh, they both they both had a yeah a lot of fun doing that. I, I watched them shoot it, you know, film it up in the chambers. Um, and then Lee Moldaver was always, you know, a regular at the council. And you know, Speaking Bob of- Hansen was there for for years. One of one of the things I remember about Bob is, uh, you know, he was a homeless advocate, um, and he would show up on a regular, pretty much every week for a while. And I, I remember him one time. Uh, wearing an American flag around his waist and, and like nothing else is what he, well, is what he said. (laughs) He didn't have a shirt on. He just had the flag around his waist. And he went up to public comment and he was asking for the council to do something and threatening, if you don't do it, I'm going to, you know, take the flag down.
0: Was it bathrooms, more bathrooms? Was it probably that? It
1: probably, yeah, I think it was restrooms. I think that was his, you know, one of his main things was public restrooms for, anybody um so yeah that was interesting he didn't do it fortunately and you know said his piece and walked away right (laughs) uh and then more more recently the the comedian guy that showed up for a little while oh yeah uriah i don't know what his last name is but he would come up and practice his stand-up so (laughs) that, that was an that was an interesting twist on public comment (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and uh you know, some of his jokes were so bad they were funny. Yeah, Had his corny, I guess it would be, be called. Um, yeah, those. Yeah, problems. I
1: didn't think he. I didn't think he had much of a career ahead of him as a as a comic, but <laughs> but he hey, I guess he used the venue that he <laughs> he had available.
0: Exactly. Well, that's one of the things I really enjoy about that archive of City TV. I know when when Lee Moldaver passed away. <laughs> I spent some time finding Lee Moldaver speaking during public comment, and I did a little tribute to him and showed video of him talking, and then I commented on these issues. And that's something that is this treasure trove, this archive of these people who have been figures in Santa Barbara for so many years. Uh, Lee Moldaver, like a barn well, uh, knew everything, and uh yeah. I always thought he had my phone tapped because he's like Facebook, like like I'll, I'll say something and the ad will appear on my phone. That was like Lee, I'll say something to somebody and he'll call me up and talk to me about it. And, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, and so those those characters, um, you know, we don't have those same characters these days. It feels like we don't have the same sort of consistent personalities coming and and talking about these issues. What do you think, uh, Tony, of uh, the council of today versus the council back then? We've had two significant changes: district elections, as well as uh, getting paid. Right? They 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 make salaries now. Um, What's your take? Sort of looking at the council of today versus the councils back, you know, when you started in eighties, nineties, two thousands.
1: You know, I think it's yeah a couple things that the similarity. Is that i I just admire and respect anybody that puts their name in the ring for you know running for public office. I mean you, you know the people just slinging arrows at you, you know you put yourself out there, you do a lot of good, but then you know it doesn't matter what you do you could you could do everything perfect. There's always gonna be somebody that's got some you know some negative comments. so just the passion that everybody that I've seen on the council has is the the big similarity you know but and this is probably obvious, but with with being paid and you know when I first started, um most of the council members were older retirees because it was you know they just got a stipend and and now with the council members getting you know some salary i, I don't I don't know what it is right now, I think I thought it was around forty or fifty thousand yeah depends and the mayor gets a little bit more. You, you may know more, you know, better than I, but with the salary and district elections, we've got younger, a younger council, um, you know, people that, that more diversity uh, for sure. And, you know, that's I think that's all positive. It's all, it's all a good thing. So that's, that's how it's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the council members now have, uh they have a, a lot of them. Sev- well, several of them have kids and they they also have other jobs. So, you know, they're they're pretty busy, it seems to me, doing doing the work of the council in addition to, you know, their other their other work and home life. Uh, wow. But that's 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 how it's changed. But I, as far as I can
0: see. Yeah. And I, I will say from my reporter's perspective. One of the things that's different is because you have people with jobs who can now serve on the council and you have a younger demographic and that's great because it also that that's code it means more diversity right it means people can be able to serve in this position and it's not just those who are independently wealthy and that's great but i will say one one downside of that is research and time spent um i remember the days when when the meetings were not spent asking basic questions of staff. Uh Those questions were answered ahead of time where they did the research or they read the reports. And I think a lot of times the nature of this council is they may not be reading everything going into that meeting and being prepared because they have other jobs. And I think that that makes these meetings a lot unnecessarily longer. Whereas back in the day, Barnwell or Secord or Hart or any of these people, they'd have their pointed questions right there and it wasn't from the beginning. And so I think that's one of the, the trade-offs that I've noticed is like a difference in in preparation going into the meetings. I wanna ask you, speaking of, of preparation, COVID, COVID-19 and how things changed, all of a sudden you have to allow virtual commentary, right? That's That seems so standard right now, but now, you know, not before COVID, you couldn't just call in and do public comment. You had to be there in person. So can you talk a little bit about how COVID changed what you do at City TV or what you did? How did you adjust to that? Was that, was that hard? Was that difficult? You know, Brown Act considerations, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it was quite, it was uh, a big change for us. Um, you know, prior to to COVID, we had done, I think a couple telephone um there were a couple meetings where some council members were out of town and still wanted to participate. So we were able to hook up a, a phone line into the council chambers where we would hear them on their phone and they would hear through their phone the PA system from the council chambers. We used that once or twice. It was marginally effective. I mean, it was audible, but it wasn't great. Um, we actually had a couple council members out of out of the country. You know, one one was in Africa at the time and the other one was in China. And um, so we were able to connect them to the meeting and they participated, but it, it wasn't great.
0: And I remember, um, but, I remember when Dr. Secord broke his leg. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah, Dr. Time? Secord broke his leg and he was at home.
1: Yeah. Right. So we used it for that as well. So that was pretty sporadic. We just sort of rigged it up. Um, but once, yeah, once COVID happened and, you know, we needed to figure out how we were going to continue business, um you know, doing city business um in council meetings, I think we took two or three months couple three months off maybe um and and you know got everything set there was the the legal side of it. they were figuring out the brown act and how it would work. We were trying to work on the technical side, so we started off just doing uh virtual <clears throat> and you know, that was we had to hook in computers into our system and run audio to them and get audio from it and then uh, feed it video from the chambers or from from Zoom. And so, yeah, there was a lot of we 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 hired uh, we have an engineer that's uh, on contract and he helped us figure it figure it out. And every other city in California was doing the same thing. So they were really busy, you know, trying to figure out how to do it, and make it work technically. Uh, and then we started doing hybrid meetings, mm-hmm. you know, where we had people virtual and people in the room. So that was another that was sort of the second step. So we had to figure out how to make that work technically a, a, as well. Um, You know, it took took some time. And now it's here. I don't think it's I think it's going to stay. You know, it's it's just as far as public participation. It's you know, it's great. People can they don't have to sit in the room for three or four hours waiting for their item to come up if it's a long agenda. Yeah. They can sit at home on their couch and kind of monitor it and then, you know, raise their hand in Zoom uh, when it's time to speak, when you know it's time for public comment for their item. And so from you know, a public perspective, I'm I'm sure it's great for, for people to do that. So, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge. And uh, fortunately we weren't the only city going through it at the time. Everybody else was trying to figure it out. And and the, the engineer uh, contractor that, that the city has um, mostly does the same thing for, for, you know, public agencies all over the state. So they kind of came up with their process and how they, they wired it up and the equipment we needed. And, you know, we were able to. Have them help us implement it, and I think it's been—I think it's been pretty reliable and pretty successful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know it's fantastic. You know, it's so good in terms of uh, access and uh, being able to allow just pretty much anybody participate in a meeting. And I was there last Tuesday, and this is something that was recently been introduced. But now the the council members who are virtual, if they can't attend a meeting for whatever reason they'll show up on the screen so you can see them uh, before yeah. you kind of had to just like listen to them, but now you can sort of see them. And then the votes uh, they're, they're wired. Like the vote becomes it's on screen and you can see everything. It's much more of a visual presentation these days than, than it was. And it's cool to see that evolution. And then just a few years ago, a couple of years ago, all those new cameras went in. It's like these different angles in city hall and, and you can sort of see, you know, everything was upgraded. So it's, it's quite the, the body of work that, that your team has done and, and, you know, will continue to do going forward. Tony, we have a couple more minutes. You mentioned uh, a little bit about, you know, sort of your background, your upbringing. You talked about your kids, but can you talk a little bit about, how, you, know, you talk about you met your wife, you know, in, um, here. Where, where did you get your upbringing? Um, what did you? What did you want to do when you were a kid? When thinking about, you know, your adult years, where, where were you born? where did you grow up? Can you talk about that journey?
1: Uh, sure. Um, I was uh, born in in Western New York. Grew up in Western New York. Uh, spent spent some time in Buffalo, and then my family moved to Rochester, which is ninety miles east, or or so. Um, so I grew up there, went to high school in Rochester, uh, and, you know, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I went to college for a couple years, um, didn't find anything I was really interested in, um, you know, and then, uh, got a job at our village, the village of Fairport, New York. So it's, uh, there's a couple extra layers of government. Back there, there's towns and villages, as well as cities and counties and the state. And so I worked for the village of Fairport for two years, and um, they just kind of moved me around to different departments in the public works department or different functions in the public works department. So I helped roads, uh, pave roads and stuff. And then we also did trash collection. So I did trash for quite a while and. somewhere at that point, I was like, you know, I, this is hard work. This is, I have a, a lot of uh, respect for people that work in, you know, the Marboard people that I see working. Cause I, I did it for some time, a little bit of time and, um, decided, you know, I, I should go back to school and I was interested in photography and my uncle had heard about Brooks. Uh, he's a professional photographer and spent some time on the West coast and he's He's I was looking at schools back east and, and he's like, Oh, you should check this place out in Santa Barbara called Brooks Institute. They're they're pretty well known. So I did and you know, got in and, and came out. So that's really that's really what got me out here and, and um yeah, got me interested in photography was my, my uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's still shooting weddings, he's still doing photography and he's really? I don't know, a seventy five probably. Uh-huh.
0: And you, you did pay back your uh, student loans for Brooks Institute by now, right. I hope so. I did, yes. <laughs> they, they got paid back. Now I know we're so- working on
1: my, my, my daughter's UCLA loans.
0: <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. Well, you know, last question here, Tony. Um, you've been retired a couple of weeks, so you're getting the feel for what that is. Uh what are you going to miss what do you think about most when you think about you're not going to city hall you're not doing that you're not steering the ship anymore what are you going to miss most about your your time at the city of santa barbara
1: yeah it's, that's easy uh the people mm-hmm. you know i'll miss working with the the people that i worked with at city hall and fortunately you know my position uh we work with every city department so you know i develop relationships from you know, in every every department outside of City Hall as well. So I'm just going to miss miss that that camaraderie, the sense of purpose. We're all working towards the same goal, um, you know, providing services to the public. So I'll miss that. Um, I'm going to stay. I, I just got elected to the TVSB Board of Directors, so I'm going to stay kind of in the public education government world a little bit, wor- working on their board. Uh, so I'm looking forward to looking forward to working with Eric and the rest of the board members over, over there at TVSB. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll just mention this one thing, uh, Josh, one of the things that a regret uh, that I, this hopefully working on the board of directors at TVSB will help me stay involved in is trying to get the public education and government channels in HD on Cox Cable. You know, right now we're still in standard definition, which is 1947 technology. Um, you know, it's not like high definition is, it's not even the state of the art anymore. It's just the standard in the industry. Yeah. You know, the state, state of the art is 4K now or, or even higher resolution than that. So pretty much every other channel on the Cox cable system is in HD except for the peg channels and. And the thing is, is that as the peg channels switch out equipment, you can't you you can't buy standard definition equipment anymore because it's so outdated. You have to buy HD. So I'm going to keep pushing for that uh, and try to push for getting them on on high definition. And, and it's really important, especially for the government channels, mm-hmm. because if you're watching on TV and it's in standard depth, um, and you're trying to follow a budget presentation or something that's got a lot of detail on a PowerPoint slide, you just can't read it. Yeah, you know, and and that's what you know. That's part of the transparency process for the government agencies to put that information out there. But if the public can't really read it very well when they're watching it, yeah. then it's you know it's not great. So that's just one of the the benefits of of it. And
0: is that um, a what is the solution there? Is that a what agency or how do you how do you make that happen? It's
1: Cox Cable.
0: You're working with them. So
1: there's yeah, there's all uh, the the cable. There's a there's a uh, cable television master franchise that's run through the state of California, and that what the requirement is for cable companies is to provide a public education or government TV channel in standard definition. So when they wrote the law, so the law really needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. They wrote when they wrote the law, they you know used old technology, um, but they're doing it all over the country, and the, you know it's just just in ca- it's it's in states like California that have a state franchise that really needs to be changed to allow for high definition or that requires high definition channels for the peg channels, because mm-hmm. we are all the peg channels in the South Coast? We, we're already in HD. All Cox has to do is flip a switch and, you know, we could be broadcasting in high definition.
0: So it's a, is it a politics thing or a financial thing?
1: Um, you know, I think there's there's a, a bit of both, but, you know, Cox will say that it's a bandwidth and it's a financial thing.
0: Well, full but, circle, we got to get Greg Hart in on this, right? Now that he's in the <laughs> <spirit>. <laughs>
1: Right. Maybe Greg can, uh, you know, work at the state level to try to, and there's, you know, uh, there's some talk um, with a couple different advocacy groups of, of trying to push for that, trying to change. It's called DIVCA, the Digital Infrastructure Video Competition Act. Mm-hmm. That's that's the law, the state law that has to be amended for cable companies to, you know, be required to provide HD channels. Sure. And it's it's going on all over the country. It's not like it's you know, it's it's easily done. It's literally a, a flick of the switch. I think at the at the cable company's end. Okay. So I'll keep pushing for that and and hoping for it.
0: Well great Tony, I uh, appreciate your time <clears throat> talking uh, about your your career and, and and City TV and you know everything you've been a part of and uh, you're one of the most well-liked popular people whose name comes up in my interactions with with city hall people. Uh, I should say not popular but well respected. And, and you know that's all we can ask for so uh thanks thanks so much tony and uh uh thanks for taking time and good luck to you and good luck to your kids as they're about to uh well you know they're navigating the world so thanks a lot right
1: thanks josh appreciate it <laughs>